pray again, please. Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, in your presence. Because you've given the grace to do so. We gratefully, Lord, bow before you and say thank you. You have prepared table before us in the presence of our enemies and you have been fighting for us, winning the battles for us and renewing the blessed hope in us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to continue until we see you. And we know that you are faithful, Lord, because you made a promise. Bless your church. This is your home. This is your house. Bless each and every one of us here. May all the glory be unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen. My topic this morning, the Christ-likeness challenge, <laughs> or the challenge of the Christ-likeness. Uh, we will have three main readings, but let's, let's start by the first one, and the other one will come later on. You want to turn with me to Philemon. <laughs> Philemon, that's the book before Hebrews. Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Verse 2. To the beloved Aptia, Acropus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the heart of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the age and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chain, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good, your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed f for a while for this purpose, 
that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Verse 18. But if he had wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. This is a very personal letter. Okay, <laughs> let me read my note first. <laughs> Paul wrote this epistle to Philemon, Philemon around 61 AD. This brief letter written from prison is a personal appeal from Paul to Philemon on behalf of a runaway slave named Onesimus who had probably stolen from his Christian master and then fled Colossae. Paul had met Onesimus in Rome in prison and led him to Christ, but was now sending him back to his old master, the beloved Philemon. In verse 1 to 7, Paul gives his greeting to Philemon. Sorry, I keep on mixing in French, we say Philemon. To, <laughs> to Philemon and present his appreciation and gratitude to him as a beloved brother, beloved friend, and fellow worker in Jesus. Philemon hosted a church in his house and was most likely a wealthy member of the church in Colossae who was apparently angry with his absent slave. Paul's greeting style shows great humility, love, and consideration for the brethren. Paul expresses his joy and encouragement because of Philemon's ministry to the brethren in the church. From verse 8 to 25, this consists of Paul's appeal for Onesimus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable both to you and to me. By the way, uh, the name Onesimus means useful, profitable. Now, under Roman law, Philemon could execute his slave for fleeing. However, Paul pleads with Philemon to receive Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. 
both in the flesh and in the Lord. And he had, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Onesimus will carry this letter back to give to Philemon himself. Onesimus is later mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians as a faithful and beloved brother. First lesson from this. I want to briefly mention the Christian approach to social issues and say that the Christian approach is rooted in God's righteousness and love. I've heard quite often people criticizing Christianity, blaming it for condoning and supporting and encouraging slavery. I've looked around. I don't see evidence for that. I don't see evidence for that. You see, those are the kind of things you cannot do without denying Christ's teaching. You cannot do that without being disobedient to Christ. Now, the thing is, if you had a friend who is a murderer, and then another friend despises you because you were the friend of a murderer, would that be fair? So I think people are being unfair on Jesus Christ because people departing from his teaching are doing things in his name and people see that and they blame, they reject everything and they blame Christianity. You cannot do that without being disobedient to Christ. I don't see evidence for that. And we shall see. The word slave, in fact, you will work very hard to find the version of the Bible where the word slave is. I found it in the Revised Standard Version. It was very, very difficult. In most of the versions, you find born servant, servant, etc. And rightly so, because in the Greek, I think it's doulos, doulos, doulos is the word. The primary meaning is service, is to serve. So the first meaning is servant. That's the correct uh, uh, Tra? Traduction, yeah, okay. Traduction. Uh, <laughs> that's the first meaning, okay, meaning. And then you have the idea of slave as we know it, but the word slave itself is still servant, but is now the condition of the service that is being done. That is the, the hardship, the lack of consideration. You know, that idea of owning a property, that's what gives that negative meaning of it. But initially, the word slave is just servant. So it's okay. When Paul says we are Christ's slaves, we are slaves to, to, to good, that means we are servant of people. And the word servant in the context of the Bible not only means serving, but it also means worshiping. That's why we say we're going to serve the Lord. It's part of the word. So we put in the context, we begin to see that I found in the Bible, okay, 
Joshua. Joshua is called the servant of Moses. I think the word is uh, Shaurat in Hebrew, Shaurat, something like that. Service, someone giving the service. But the primary meaning of it is to render a service in the household. That's the first meaning. So we are servants of God in his house. Now, this Onesimus here was just that in the house. Remember the centurion before the Lord, he explained the notion of authority. He said, I have people, I say to this soldier, do this, and I say to my servant, do this. You see, the soldier is still his servant, but in public office, and this one is in his household. By the way, one must say that we are being falsely accused because the idea of slavery actually predates Christianity. Now, you have to look the testimony of history and see what has Christianity do to that sad reality. Now, in this case here, and this shows you the standard approach throughout ages, what happened is Paul could not give an order to Philemon just to release Onesimus. Though he had an authority to do that, he could, he could not encourage Onesimus to flee or to murder or to rebel against his mother. That is the Christian approach. What would Christians do? To the slave masters who became Christians, Christian leaders will gradually point them to the love and righteousness of God. Show them slowly that we are all equal. In fact, the Bible says we are made of one blood. And through the blood of Christ, he has redeemed people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. No one is above no one. So by teaching them that, they will renew their perception of humanity. And it will be very hard for them to continue with their previous perception. You may call this topic renewing perspective and perception. We are called to be renewed, to be transformed by the renewing. To not be conformed to this word. We work and we live by a different standard, God's standard. Just to confuse you a little bit, the title is The Christ-likeness Challenge. It's between the two. Renewing perspective and perception. As we are renewed, we are increasingly made in the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. And how does the Lord do that? Does that? By his word, by his spirit. We obey to him, we begin to change. We begin to change our perspective of life. We begin to look fellow human beings as human beings. We will get to that. I've said that already. 
Now, an example of what I was saying, the way uh, Christians were introduced gradually the biblical teaching, don't turn to that, I'll quote that for you, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Masters, give your bond servant what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You see, that's a starting point. That's a starting point for being renewed. You begin to say, oh, I have a master too. Okay? These are human beings because I, I'm accountable to God too. That's big. Now, you have to remove that in order to accuse the Bible. We are in the New Testament. Having said that, Christian leaders will not encourage servants to flee or to rebel against their masters, but I found a sentence here. I'm quoting that for you. But you can be made free, but if you can be made free, use it. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay? Let me just read the full verse. Let each one remain the same, the same calling in which he was called. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Were you called while slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. That's a preference. The New Testament did not intend to lead the slave into rebellion against the master. However, it's also very clear that it meant to represent slavery as a hard and bad thing. And to encourage slaves to embrace the earliest opportunity to be free. Now, Pastor John was uh, exhorting this morning and he mentioned John 8. 32-36. You will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed, true freedom can only come from God. Do you know why? Because God is free himself. The Bible says he does what pleases him. He is free. And he created human being to be free. To exercise their free will to true freedom. To exercise the free, the free will against slavery. All forms of slavery. And the biggest slavery being the devil, sin, and the second death. You see, those three things, there's no way one can set himself free from those things. That's the whole purpose of redemption, the redemption story. It's for God to free us from sin. In fact, one day, he will not only deliver us from sin, but it will deliver us from its presence altogether. He's already delivered us from the wrath to come, from the judgment to come. When we cry out to him, he delivers us from the fiery darts, wiles, cunningly devised tricks of the devil. Only God can do that. Now, let's put something in context here. 
You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is the context of that? This is the context in John 8. The Lord is talking to his disciples. They are Jews who have just become Christian believers. And Christ says that, and they're puzzled. They looked at him, they say, wow, we are, we are children, descendants of Abraham. How can you say you will set us free? We've never been in bondage to anyone. Wow, how about that? <laughs> Didn't Abraham himself, God, tell him your descendants will serve 400 years in a foreign country? And they say, we've never been in bondage. The greatest bondage, the worst bondage is that one yeah. in history. Yeah. Do you know what Christ says? Why don't we read that? John 8. John 8. Um, Look at verse 34, John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see? So the Lord introduced a very big truth there. It's all about slavery to sin. Bondage. I call that unconscious bondage. Unconscious slavery. You see, these people, they are talking from a very different perspective. The Lord he said, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, not, not only you were actually slaves, but I'm talking about sin here. Only me can set you free. Now, this condition here, millions, if not billions of people in this world think they are just good. Good, especially in America. Everyone is good. God, God, God. Everyone is good in America. I call that unconscious slavery. Only Jesus Christ can deliver from sin. No one else can. It's impossible. Someone was telling me one day that the reason why people want to gain salvation by work, by deed, if that was possible, is because in heaven, they want to be able to look at God and say, I contributed too. But that's not possible. It's a dead project. It's not going to work. It has to be 100% on God's terms. Now, we can be free from something. We can be slave to something. And we can be also positively slave to something. You see, Paul would say something like, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more. 
That's the idea of servant of Christ. Slave of Christ. Free to follow Christ. That's what it means. And uh, the idea of slavery is the idea of owning someone who becomes your property. He has no feelings. You communicate your moods and your feelings. Christ is not like that. And Christians, born again Christians, experience that real freedom. Freedom. I was set free from smoking. I didn't need any counseling. Set free from alcohol in one day. I didn't need any rehab, rehab, or in one day, everything. You know, Charles Wesley said, My chains fell off. How can he say my chains fell off? Was he a slave? No. Is a different kind of slavery. Now, in our main text there, we see something. Philemon is saying, if he owes you something, I will repay for it. Put it on my account. That is called imputation. It's the doctrine of imputation. You have that with the Good Samaritan. You have that in Isaiah 53. He's born our grief. The chastisement of our peace was laid on him. That's the doctrine of imputation. Someone becomes guilty and condemned. But in this case, it's someone else doing it for us. But also, there is another notion here, very important. Reparation. Reparation? Okay, reparation. Reparation. It's very, very important that we know that if we've wronged someone, we have to ask for forgiveness. We can repent, confess to one another. Don't just despise. God has forgiven me, it's okay now. You can repair as well. Now, you can set yourself to repair, the outcome is not your problem. If it doesn't work from the other hand, you've done the right thing. That's not your problem. Remember Zacchaeus? That's reparation. And you find that in the Bible as well. In the year 2008, I think, I was in America at the Brian Cole Conference, and I was introduced to a couple. They were in their 70s. Those people, they had separated, divorced before. But they were not believers when they did that. And someone invited them at the Brian Cole Conference. They heard the gospel. And it was at that conference that they came together. And I saw them, you know, you could see the happiness. You could see the happiness in their 70s. They had lost 10 years of happiness and undermining each other. That is called reparation. They came to Christ. They understood there were no option, no other option. And they came together. That's the kind of testimony we want to see in the church. The Bible says we are a city built on a hill. Light and the salt in this world. If salt loses its saltiness, if light loses its properties, question, how thicker will darkness be? There was a mayor in the Ivory Coast. One day he spoke to a pastor and he said, 
I don't understand what's happening with evangelicals. In the 70s, once we had celebrated your marriage of Christians, it was finished. But now they keep on coming back after one year, after two years to request divorce. What has happened? Recently, a friend of mine, a pastor, attended a conference, not a conference, yes, a conference of a particular denomination. I'm not going to tell you which one. And he told me that they repented and they said, we have failed. And the whole point was to try and diagnose, to understand what was the problem. There was only one conclusion. We departed from scripture and we started doing our own things. And it's been going like that for decades and decades and decades. But at least they've acknowledged, God bless them and they will come back. Okay, moving fast. Now, I mentioned the renewed perspective and perception. Paul is asking his fellow worker not to consider the brother as a slave anymore, but the beloved brother. The apostle Peter had the same problem in Acts 10 and 11. And when the Lord opened his eyes, he said this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He was completely self-righteous. God taught him the hard way. God shows no partiality. Now, let's look at something more specific as we head to the end. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and read from verse 22, please. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. To 26. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hand on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, See men like trees walking. Then he put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up, and he, and he was restored, and so everyone distinctly, clearly. Now, let's listen carefully here. We came to Christ. Christ gave us his spirit. We all have a background of some sort. This person here had his eyes open. But he looked at fellow human beings like trees, moving trees. Not people made in God's image, moving trees. 
brethren, it's very, very, very important that we come back to the Lord and ask him to touch us again if it's needed. If we feel that we're despising everybody in arrogance and pride, everyone is nothing, I'm the best, I'm this, I'm that, we need a second touch from the Lord to open our eyes and begin to see fellow human beings like people with feeling as well. Obviously, I'm starting with husband and wives here. Husband, if you look at your wife as a human being, not a moving tree, and vice versa. Someone just moving in the house doing things. No, human being needing care and consideration and respect created in God's own image. We live by a different standard. Wives, respect. Be submissive to your husband. Well, you may think, what's the connection between the slavery thing and this? You may think like that. I am in Colossians chapter 3. I'm sparing you reading. It's in Colossians chapter 3 from verse 12 onward up to chapter 4, verse 1. You see, Christ is saying, as the elect, holy, beloved. Let's read that together. It's important. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. You see, if the joy of Christ, if the peace of Christ dwells in us and multiplies in us, it will be contagious. Nothing comes from outside to defile us. It's what comes from within. What's the opposite of peacemaker? Thank you, troublemaker. We are called to be peacemakers, children of God. Not just peacekeeping like the UN. They wait where there is war, then they come to maintain peace. Peacemakers, promoting peace, creating peace. Because Christ, the shalom, is in us. So you see, if these things multiply, they start by nurturing and growing in the family settings, it will affect the society. It will affect the church. It will affect our workplace. And if you go further down, the things I was saying in Colossians, you will see that it starts with what? It starts with wife be submit. Husband, love your wife. Now, you see, those extreme points, 
Wife, be submissive, husband, love your wife. But there is something that sometimes some people like me overlook. Husband, do not be bitter. I was talking to a lady who was having a lot of problems in her household. And when you talk to the husband, he said the wife is not submitted. You talk to the, to the wife, the wife says he doesn't love me. And I say, what about bitterness? Because husband is called not to be bitter. Because that one, the bitterness, is a teamwork. <laughs> it's a teamwork. It's very important that a wife spots the root of bitterness when it starts coming. You can't be asking for love where it's not. Bitterness is growing. You have the capacity to pray for that. And husband, do not be bitter. Why would bitterness come? Because it is entertained, it's created, it's not dealt with. Everyone is thinking, you need to respect me, you need to love me. But there's something else in the middle that is very serious. There should not be any root of bitterness. Let's be careful with those things. You don't see that. You see love, you see submission, but bitterness is growing, it's growing, and it can be very bad. So, the Lord is dealing with the family here. The basis of the society, marriage, husband and wife, how to conduct. And then he goes to children, respect your parents. And then father, do not exasperate your children lest they be discouraged. The family. First. And then the working relationship. Servant, obey your masters. And masters give the right salary, wages. It's all done. You tell me in which sense is Christian, Christian to be blamed. If that was applied. So the problem is not the Bible, it's us. We are sometimes very horrible in working in workplace, and people are troubled. Now bear with me. I was saying something like this somewhere, and I said, "Yeah, in some occasion I've been ashamed of my own something I've said or did." And I said, "I shouldn't have done that as a Christian. I need to go and ask for forgiveness." And when I say that in the con congregation, someone someone shouted and say, "Do you?" I say, "Oh, this is the congregation of the saints." We have to be very careful. We are ambassadors of Christ. In the family, in the church, it's easy because we're only here for two hours. It's easy for all of us to be doves. <laughs> it's in the family. The kind of things that are said, whether not to mention children. Someone told me recently, he came up with the expression, he called that the offended generation of the future. No child wants to be offended. Actually, very easily offended. I was told that children are saying uh, in an environment which they call Twitter Rassi. Twitter Rassi. Why obey your voice? One voice equals one on the internet. Why should I obey yours? I can write something people will obey as well. Twitter Rassi. But here, we have a way to conduct in the house of God. Young people, obey your parents. Parents, care for your family. Husband and wife to start with. That way I am the most this morning. 
because it's a problem. It's a problem. We don't know what to do. The Bible said that cannot be the work of the Holy Spirit. That comes from the devil. How come people who sit together to say, until death? What's the expression of that vow? Because mine one was in French. <laughs> and after a while, and God was there, and you can just depart and cross everything. Anyone knows why God hates divorce? What's the explanation? One explanation. Because it covers one garment with violence. Wow, the conflagration when there is divorce. Heart has broken. He goes so far. God said, don't. He's the maker of the marriage. He did it. He knows. Consideration. Respect. Do you know what? Sometimes people think, I deserve more than you. Pride. It was a mistake. I deserve more. That's what causes clashes and problems. Where there is humility, appreciation, you look at your spouse like a gift from God, you can't say that. The Bible says, esteem others as being better than you. That's opposite to what we see in this society. I am more sophisticated than you. The Bible says, no, esteem others. Because that brings peace. The strength of God is made manifest in our weaknesses. Okay? We're closing all this by saying, <laughs> in the service of Christ, we have to consider. Look at Paul's humility. Paul's humility. The great apostle. He said, though I can give a command, but I appeal to you. I appeal. And he thanks. He's encouraged by Philemon's behavior. He said, you have refreshed the heart of the saints. Are you refreshing the heart of the saints? When you meet a believer, are you refreshing? Are they reassured? By your faith, by your kindness, by your helpfulness, do you care? Are you refreshing? The Bible says, do good to all, but first to those of the household of God. It's a commandment. Exceeding love for the brethren. That's the first characteristic of a believer, the love for Christ and his followers. If we are called, let everyone play his role, what he's been called to do. If you are an intercessor, listen to this. An intercessor does not waste his time advertising on prayer. He prays that God will raise people praying. A Bible teacher does not waste his time talking about book, about version, but he teaches the Bible. An evangelist does not waste time telling people, we go to evangelize this country. He goes out there to evangelize. <laughs> and bring people. Because that is his responsibility. Amen. You see, these things put us on a certain level where there is no jealousy. We understand these things because Paul says, 
now he was unprofitable. It is profitable not only to you, but also to me. You are profitable to me. We will share eternity together. Very difficult to talk about these things. Muhammad Ali said, it's difficult to be humble when you are so excellent like me. <laughs> An old pastor once told me, I did not understand. I understood after. He said, you can be proud in humility. You can be humbly proud. And I say, how? Those are antonyms. They're opposite. How can you be? I understood then. You could give the impression that you are humble, but full of pride inside. But God can see that. Humility is before God. It's not before man. They can see the fruit of it. If you looked David, King David from outside, <laughs> you know, he was a first class warrior. He was, you know, he was a he had his own mentality. But the heart, God saw that. After God's own heart. We should seek to be humble before God. And that, the majority, will benefit from it. I'm just reciting for you a small verse that I found uh, edifying here. I'm going to stop all that. Uh, there is this beautiful song which you know, Jesus, you are changing me. You are the porter, I am the clay. We have to recognize when there is a problem in us and come to God who sees everything. Don't think things are gonna sort out by themselves, no. Although God knows, he wants us to come humbly before him and pay the price of saying it before God. Lord, this is me. Lord, I've had a bad thought. Lord, I feel that I'm becoming too proud, arrogant. Dave Hunt said, when you regularly speak in front of thousands of people, you got to watch your heart. So there are a lot of opportunities for being arrogant. I remember Pastor John said, someone told Spurgeon the teaching was good. He said, the devil has told me. He said, those people were exercised to those things. Yeah. It takes like this. Where we all by default humble when there's nothing to be proud of. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you. And we bless your name, Lord. None of us, Lord, has fulfilled all these things. But we come again to you, Lord, and pray for our household that husband will love their wives, wives will respect their husband, they will love each other in mutual submission to your glory. We pray, Lord, for the peace of God that passeth all understanding, Lord, to multiply in our church in this place. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, the freedom we have in Christ. Bless us, Lord, as we move forward, as we look to your blessed appearing. 
strengthen us, Lord, for the rest of the pilgrimage on earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.